Welcome back to the Georgia 2024 show. Uh, we are really happy to have our War Room Posse audience, along with Conservative Daily in Denver, and the Caravan to Midnight audience with about 8 million radio listeners. So we appreciate you all being here. The Georgia show is growing. We're brought to you by the Georgia Record, georgiarecord.com. Please check us out. Put us in your daily scan. We are the tip of the spear in Georgia as far as political news affecting the upcoming election. On that note, we have an explosive show today. Amy Krimmer was supposed to join us, but she had really bad Wi-Fi, so she's going to come on our Wednesday show. Uh, we're two nights a week now, Wednesday nights at 7 and Sunday at 2 o'clock. We have David uh, Cross, Debbie Dooley, and Sarah Thompson is going to talk to us about what's going on in Bullock. Uh, before we get to that, however, we have some explosive breaking evidence on election fraud across the United States that we're going to bring on here in one second. Before we do that, I want to ask you to sign up for our no-ad subscriptions. We are funded by you, not by Zuckerbucks, not by Fox News, not by anyone. We have 12 websites across the world. We are a global media company from Eastern Europe all the way to Colorado. So please check us out. Uh, go to cdm.press, see all the different uh, websites on the top menu. Sign up for our no-ad subscriptions in the top right corner. You can sign up for no ads, and you get access to all of our sites uh, with no pop-up ads, nothing. So uh, people love it. Uh, it's 10 bucks a month and there's a yearly subscription amount, but we really need your support. That's one way we fund ourselves. So as I said, we're going to break some big news here today. We've had Chris Gleason on before. He has walked into what's going on with the proof he's found on the election machines across the country. He's had the Maryland uh, chief of elections resign because of his work. And uh, he's going to tell us some explosive news that he's found. Welcome to the show, Chris. Hey, Todd. How are you? So thank you for coming on. Um, the last 48 hours have been quite an amazing experience, and you are literally the tip of the spear on saving the republic. So tell us what you found. Sure. So we've been uh, we've uncovered quite a lot of things. We started here in Florida with the machines and the illegally adjudicating ballots as blank, and it spurred a lawsuit. Uh, here in Pinellas County, which is sorry, let me interject. That means when people cast their ballot, the machines read it as blank, like yes. nothing, no marks, nothing, nothing. They tell then they tell you what they actually voted for. The machines decide, right? Yeah. So the machines, uh, thousands and thousands of people in Pinellas County went out on election day in 2020 and 2022, and they cast ballots, and those ballots were deemed to be 100 percent blank. Now, to put it as a frame of reference, uh, in Pinellas County in 2020, during the election, Joe Biden won the election over Donald Trump by 1,214 votes, for 1,214 ballots, essentially. Mm -hmm. Well, what we recently discovered was that there were six, over 16,000 Pinellas County voters had their ballots deemed 100% blank. So they're saying that 16,000 people went out between early voting, election day, and vote by mail, and provisional, and cast 100% blank ballots. So we know that that didn't really happen. Yeah. And so we discovered this in Florida, and then we started checking in in Maryland. And we found a sh shocking pattern there. And we really peeled the onion there. And as a result of our work in Maryland and a lawsuit in Maryland, um, 
Linda Lamone, the long-standing uh, director of elections, uh, abruptly retired or abu abruptly announced her retirement. And so as we were digging in Maryland, uh, we decided to expand our efforts nationwide. And so about a week or two ago, we did a uh, series of massive public records requests across the United States. And we, uh, on, on Thursday, on August 3rd, um, it was brought to my attention that ESNS, Election Systems and Software, had sent out a notice to all of their customers, all of the elections administrators across the United States. And in this notice, uh, they specifically mentioned me and the Justice Society. And they said, hey. Tell us about the Justice Society real quick. Who is that? So the Justice Society is a 501c3 nonprofit uh, organization dedicated to expose truth and justice and educate people about government corruption. And so I've been working with uh, the people at the Justice Society to uh, uncover what we've found as far as uh, misfeasance, malfeasance um, in elections and with judicial corruption and attorney corruption. So I've been working with them. We set up uh, a system and we're not, we, we started documenting all of uh, the data and evidence that we had obtained um, both in Maryland and in Florida and expanded those efforts out to all of the other ESNS states and counties. So it was a very, it was rather interesting. So then, um, then I'm sorry to interrupt, but then you started putting out a lot of records requests, right? Yes. For, for so this did, information so you could see what was going on in different jurisdictions. So we knew where they, uh, we knew where to look. Nobody really knew where to look and nobody really knew about this whole blank ballot thing. And, you know, the thing about the blank ballots, it's, it's really, really important. I mean, this is literally the issue that nobody has talked about. And um, this, this is the Kraken, so to speak, because here's the thing for every blank ballot, it's a voter who had their right to vote taken away. And ESNS holds the largest market share of all these uh, voting machine technology companies. Now, uh, Dominion, which everybody's heard all about, uh, they um, their technology is ESNS's technology because ESNS in 2010 had been sued by the Justice Department. And they were split up because they had essentially a monopoly on this voting technology. So the same stuff that you would see on ESNS machines, you see in the Dominion machines. They basically have different report numbers, but the technology, uh, the underlying technology is, is essentially the same. So with these public records requests that we were doing, we, were, we, you know, we started out just we wanted to see what the results were. What were the election results? What were the precinct results? Because what we found in these reports called EL45A reports that they all, that's what this machine generates. So if you're going to get the election results, it's generated as a 
EL45A report. This is public information. Public information. Absolutely. Everything about this is 100% public information because it is uh, using technology that taxpayer money paid for. And all of the data, reports, logs, everything is generated in the course of the government doing business, which makes it a public record. Mm-hmm. Now, what makes it even more important as a public record is the fact that it's the conducting and administering of our elections. So there's really nothing that's more important than that. I mean, if there was ever something that should absolutely be totally transparent and open, it should be the administration of the elections. So what we did is we requested these reports and there's a series of them that tell us essentially what to look for. And as soon as I see one of these reports, if I see some missing data fields, I'm like, bingo, this is where to look. Mm -hmm. So I've been doing this for a while. And they have this thing called the law of large numbers. So after you see enough of them, you, you get it, you understand. So I, once I start seeing these things, I know almost instantaneously what's going on. Um, you know, so one of the big things that we identified were that in counties that had massive numbers of blank ballots, those were the counties that Donald Trump lost. That was, that was kind of interesting. And what we also found was there were also counties, like in Pinellas County, where they had omitted illegally the blank ballot data from the reports. And that's what spurred my lawsuit here in Pinellas County. And so as we started looking at these reports, I found out that there were other reports and logs that contained data. So we would request those too. And as our investigation continued, we ended up finding uh, out about these particular logs. These are activity logs. And so in order for blank ballots to be cast in the number and volume that they're cast in, that would mean that a person would have had to go out intentionally and cast a 100% blank ballot. We know people don't do that. In Broward County, 10% of all the ballots cast this past November election were deemed 100% blank. So 10% of all the voters in Broward County went out and cast a blank ballot. I don't buy that. So as we uh, dug a little deeper, we looked into the precinct level reports. And in the precinct level reports, we were able to identify down to the polling location where the where these uh, machines were illegally adjudicating ballots as 100% blank. So we started, we requested that. Um, and what we wanted to find out was, okay, so are the machines configured so that the, the voter doesn't know? And so that's a particular log report. So we requested those because we wanted to find out. And again, these are public records. These are, these are records that really, you know, it, it, it tells us what went on in our election. So what ES&S did on, uh, on the 3rd, August 3rd, Thursday, 
they sent out a notice to all of their customers, all of the counties, all of the states that administer elections, telling them, hey, this guy is asking for all of this data. And they put a disclaimer on it and they say, you know, we're not giving you legal advice, but then they proceed to give legal advice. And the legal advice they give is pretty bad because this is all public records. And I'm just reading this. It says, this document is a response to a recent public record request received by many jurisdictions throughout the United States from Christopher Gleason on behalf of the Justice Society referencing the above documents. So, yeah. So essentially what they end up claiming in this uh, letter or this legal, the, the non-legal advice, legal advice, that all of the data that we're looking for um, with regard to the logs so that we can see what's going on is proprietary and that it contains trade secrets. And moreover, uh, it contains critical election infrastructure um, information that could compromise the integrity of the elections. One municipality in Wisconsin actually um, gave me a reply and they said, well, if we gave you that report that you requested for the tabulators in our count in our you know in our county it would show ip addresses and that would compromise the security of our elections i said wait a minute you're not supposed to have ip addresses on these devices they're not supposed to be connected to the internet so well, may maybe they might show where these ip addresses are located Ah, well, that's exactly what they do. So the other thing that these logs do is show a step-by-step timestamp record of all the activity. So you would see if somebody accessed a machine remotely and conducted some bad things. Now, the other thing that these logs show and prove beyond any reasonable doubt with a absolutely um scientific degree of certainty is that millions upon millions of Americans had their right to vote taken away from them. Their right to cast a ballot was interfered with. And that if these occurrences happened at such large numbers, then that calls into question the entire accuracy of the entire system. So in some jurisdictions in Florida, you had up to 20% blank ballots cast, right? In some, poll, in some polling locations, yeah. Yeah. In, in Maryland, we had one, uh, one precinct that had about a 30%, uh, 30% of all the ballots cast in this, in this one precinct was 100% blank. How does that happen? So, and this is, what, this is really what ESNS is trying to hide. And they're trying to hide the fact that the use of these systems um, does compromise actual critical election infrastructure because a lot of these logs will also show that they were uh, that the 2020 election was administered on Windows 7 operating systems that had long been breached and that there was a long record of them being insecure and Microsoft had stopped even supporting them.
So what we see in the data is that in the counties where you don't have the blank ballots, Donald Trump won and Republicans won by very, very, very wide margins to 80%, you know, 80 to 20, you would, we would see. That's kind of crazy when you look at it, right? And as we look at these machines, it's not just the SNS, it's also Dominion. So Dominion, like I said, they have a, a different category for these things. So I was uh, very fortunate and some folks shared the Dominion uh, system logs with me. And I was in those logs probably about five minutes and I identified how they were doing it and what they were doing it and how they were being classified. And what we saw um, blows up Georgia. It blows up those elections because the data that I looked at was for Georgia. And, you know, these, these elections, the 2020 election nationwide has to be decertified. It absolutely has to be decertified. And there's no, uh, there's no reason why they can't because there is a long established legal precedent where you have large numbers of voters who had their right to vote taken away or their ballots interfered with. Um, you have precedent, there is case law out there that allows for a do-over. And in light of what we're seeing now, right? We're seeing this bogus indictment of Donald Trump. Um, we know we can prove 100% beyond any reasonable doubt that his election was stolen from him in Wisconsin, in Georgia. I mean, I can prove it here in Florida. He didn't win, although Donald Trump did win the election in Florida, he lost in quite a few counties particularly lost in Pinellas and he lost in Miami-Dade. Miami-Dade had 68,000 blank ballots cast. In Maryland, there were, there were hundreds of thousands of blank ballots that were cast. So what they're looking to do now, what ESNS is looking to do now, they're looking to hide the evidence of the fraud. They're looking to hide the evidence that their machines are not secure. They're looking to hide the evidence that they were never legally and properly certified because there was, a, there was an e, there was a EAC letter um, because there were some complaints that ESNS was marketing their DS200 tabulators as being certified by the EAC. Well, the EAC reached out to ESNS and said, hey, you can't, say this because modeming is not allowed modeming and network devices are not allowed on the ds200 machines and if a modem is connected or a network device is connected to the ds200 tabulator then the certification for the entire voting system not just the machine is void so when we look at this right we're looking at many, many, many states that ultimately conducted elections on uncertified or uncertifiable machines with voided certifications. And, and more importantly, that these large number of blank ballots that were cast, it took away the right to vote of millions, 
upon millions of Americans. And we're just trying to find out how many millions at this point. So I was talking to uh, some folks in Arizona the other day, and they, they sent me uh, some of these reports that I was looking for. And we saw the same pattern in Arizona. So there were four counties in particular in Arizona that Donald Trump lost in um, and that were problematic for Kerry Lake as well. And in two of these counties, what we noticed was that um, more than 1% of all the ballots cast in the election were classified adjudicated illegally by the machine, right? As being 100% blank. Hmm. Okay. So then we looked at the other, we looked at these two other counties and wouldn't you know it, they didn't report any of the blank ballot data. So what we're seeing is Americans have their right to vote taken away by these machines. We need to decertify these the, the, the 2020 election. We have, absolutely have to decertify it. Impeaching Joe Biden, he's not he's not the duly elected president. The election was illegally certified using uncertifiable machines, and we were we had our right to vote taken away. That's standing. That's the that's the magic here, right? Because all of these cases, none of them. All, you know, the, the case on the vote by mail fraud and all these other fraud things that we know occurred and we can prove occurred, right? They all got shot down over standing. And this is standing because we have millions of Americans all over in all these counties, in Arizona, in Florida, in Maryland, in Georgia, in Wisconsin. How many other, how many other states, how many other counties and that's all government powers derived from the consent of the governed. So yeah. essentially, you've got the proof on how they stole it. You found this legally through public records requests. Yeah. You have tried to get the data. You've got some of it. They're withholding the rest, and they don't want you to see it. So this calls into conflict Jack Smith's case, Fannie Willis's case, everything. Jack right? Smith has no case. Jack, Jack Smith should be disbarred for Melissa Spock. For malicious prosecution. So before we have to move to our next guest, let's talk about what happened in Florida. So you presented all this data to the Florida Florida officials, to the DeSantis administration. What was their response? Because, you know, Florida is supposed to be the gold standard. Ah, yes, the, the gold standard. Well, well, what did they do when you, you gave them exactly how to find the election fraud in the machines in Florida? So what they did is they changed the law. They changed the election law to hide the evidence of the fraud. Because Ron DeSantis and Cord Bird and Ashley Moody played a very large part in it, as did most of the administrators of elections in Florida. So that would be Maria Matthews and all of the supervisors of elections. We went to all of them. We went to the sheriffs. We went, we filed, we filed lawsuits. There's a lawsuit going on right now in Leon County, it's uh, Christine Scott versus Ron DeSantis. And the, 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 the stuff, the violations of law that the judges in these cases are doing, it's mind boggling. In my case in Pinellas County, 
even though I presented all of this data and evidence of what was going on, the judge in her final ruling before, she said that there was no um, dispute of fact and that all of the data was given to me as requested and I, you know, the case is dismissed. Well, that's really not what happened. So and your appeal, your that's not the end of it, right? No, I mean, no, got no, more no, coming. no. So we have new, we have new facts and evidence, new things that have come out to include fraud upon the court. So we can prove unequivocally that beyond any reasonable doubt that the Pinellas County Supervisor of Elections and the county attorney that represented her have presented a fraud upon the court, and we have. The evidence to do this and we're gonna i'll fight this all the way to the supreme court so chris uh i understand there's more coming on this uh there's a lot this, more. Is, this is going to be a multi-week campaign as we as you roll this out yes. so we look forward to more information and thank you for coming on and um how can people help the justice society in your efforts so go to the justice society and click the support us link get on the mailing list and you know, uh, contribute if uh, if you can, because we need uh, we need to hire more attorneys. We need more technology, and um, you know we need we need bodies. And so what, what's that URL again? That's thejusticesociety.com. Chris, thank you very much. We'll have you back. Thank you, Todd. Take care. So. Now we bring in our co-host, Bill Quinn, who's at an undisclosed location. How are you doing, Bill? I am well. Uh, good afternoon, Todd. Wow, what a, uh, what a set of facts that uh, Chris just brought forward. Holy smokes. Yeah, no, this, he's got a lot more, too. Um, and I understand there's going to be other news organizations involved over the next week. So we look for this story to continue. Uh, before we get going to our next guest, I'm going to uh, introduce our audience to our sponsor, David Cross who is uh, going to give us a quick message. So we'll see you after the break. I'm David Cross, and you may know me from my election integrity work, but I also own U.S. Asset Management, a family-owned and operated investment advisory practice. I'm a certified portfolio manager, and my job is to help you make better decisions with your money. One of the things we try to avoid is investing in companies that push the woke agenda. If you're invested with one of the big firms out there, there's a pretty good chance that you're feeding the beast that hates your values. Our company is 100% conservative, and we'd love to have an opportunity to work with you. Check us out at us-am.com and look for our big, proud American Eagle logo. So uh, you're running the show, Bill. Who's next? <laughs> well, there I am in the deep end of the pool. Thank you, Todd. So... Um, so we have Debbie Dooley with us this morning. Uh, I know Debbie's had a couple of network issues. I hope we're going to be uh, we're going to be hooked up correctly. So let's go ahead and bring her in. Hey, how are you hey, guys? Hey. We are good. We are good. We got a little oh, we got a little feedback. Here. We can we, we can we can hear feedback hear on feedback your end. I don't know. I don't know if you can do something, do something with that. With that. Do you have any headphones? I don't let me let me look for I actually tried connecting with my computer and it lost the connection. Let me I've got some headphones. If you give me five minutes, I can okay. connect it. I'm using my phone to connect right now. 
All right. I'll All right. What, I'll tell you what. Order 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 is. Is that okay? Is that okay? It's what now? Well, I think we'll, well, I think we'll order switch order of guests right back in. Yeah, that that's perfect. That's great. Thank you, Debbie. All right, um, Todd. Why don't we why don't we cover um, Sarah's session with you if we can? Because I I think that's uh, that's ready to run and we can do that. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then we'll do. We got David in the waiting. Did, I don't know if you see that, but oh, I do now. Well, I, actually, we can go to David too. All right, let's bring in David. Okay. Well, there we go. Good afternoon, David. Thank you for joining, my friend. Gentlemen, my pleasure. Thank you. All right. Um, so we had a number of different things going on this week. Um, to kick off the week, we had a, a state election board meeting. I think you were you were in attendance at. Um, there's some other activities with counties and so forth. So why don't I turn it over to you and you can give us a quick uh, debrief on the state election board meeting, what you observed, what was covered and, uh, and some other things that are going on this week, if, we, if you could. Sure. All right. So when, when I went to the state election board meeting, I kind of gave up on these things for a little while because it just seemed like nothing was happening. And since I've gotten really heavily involved with, the, with, the, with unplugging Georgia and moving to hand-marked, hand-counted paper ballots, counted on election day, a human beings, you know, and... And then, um, you know, videotaping it for all the world to see just for maximum transparency. Since I got involved with the, with the whole paper ballot initiative, um, there's been a ton of there's been a ton of support across the state. And at the state election board meeting this past, you know, this past week, we had people drive hours and hours and hours from all over the state to show up. And it was there were so many people in the room that apparently the fire marshal came up and told told Judge Duffy that uh, you got to move some people out and, you know, get them across across the street to an overflow room. So it was spectacular turnout. Um, and one of the things that as I was sitting there, I noticed that there were several election directors and election officials from some of the different counties that were there. And they were talking about, you know, that they were there, I think, to, to hear, you know, part of what's going on with paper ballots. But I was sitting right in the thick of a bunch of them, um, you know, next to my friend Joe Rossi. And one of the things that was really curious was that the Cobb County director you know, she overheard me talking to somebody and I was trying to tell one of the folks that was going to get up to speak that instead of, you know, giving 110% fire and brimstone to the state election board, let's refocus that, you know, that, that ire and derision where it should be. And that's at the secretary of state. So I'm still really hopped up on and excited, you know, after hearing, you know, Chris's, you know, interviews just a couple minutes ago, because it was so bizarre. He got, he got some of the same, he got some of the, some of the same blockage that I received. So it's really curious that in other States, he was receiving the same message. Apparently everything's been, you know, funneled through dominion because these States are scrambling and saying, what do I do? What do I do? What do I tell these people? They're asking for these files. Cause I, I got the same, I got the same, the same line of horse crap about it's going to compromise our systems. But with all that said, um, Bill, I sent you some, I sent you some, uh, some slides and, you know, and anybody who wants to see this, I mean, we're, we're not going to go through all of this because I, I want to try to keep it brief, but, you know, I just basically said that, you know, I'm trying to extend an olive branch. I realize that, you know, that, you know, that the board of elections is not the bad guy, you know, election security, it's a secretary of state. He's hidden the fact that the Halderman report, he knew it was in the Halderman report for two years and he still let an election happen and he's done nothing but try to hide it and cover it up. You know, and I get it. It's his baby and nobody wants to hear that, that their baby's ugly, but his is ugly. 
and, and we got to do some work on it. Um, one of the most important things that I tried to call out there for, for the benefit of the elections directors was some of the laws and some of the codes that have been broken. So, Bill, if you go to go, go to the third, go one more slide. Number three right there says several of my complaints fell through the cracks, which they have, including my question about 315,000 votes that were tallied on the same six scanners with unsigned tabulator tapes, a violation of procedure 183-1-14-02. I'm a financial advisor. Never in my life did I think I'd have to be quoting chapter and verse out of Georgia code about how to run an election because I trusted my government just like everybody else did. Um, number six down there is critically important. So according to a recent open records request, the brand new Jarvis system that's supposed to keep track of like the voters and where they live and whether or not they're qualified to vote um, has 3,500 bugs in it. It has so many bugs that the Secretary of State's office estimated it would take 90 days to, you know, to write it up. When so, you say write them up, you're, that's not necessarily solving them. That's documenting them. Is that correct? It's just describe. Just just give me one or two sentences about what it is. Oh. It would take. <laughs> so not even solving it, but just just trying to tell me. Um, and on the next slide, I've got a bunch of flags that are down there, a bunch of you know country logos. You know, and the bottom line is, I said none of none of this activity inspires any confidence. You know, several years ago, Democrats were pushing for you know to get rid of touchscreens. I think we'd have junked the whole thing, you know, in the interest of transparency. And I said, civilized nations hand count their paper ballots, you know, and just take a look at the nations that are down there, you know, Australia, Canada, Finland, France, Germany, Ireland, Japan, the Netherlands, Norway, Spain, Sweden, and the UK. So there, there's a, there's an awful, you know, awful lot of work, you know, that needs to be done. And one of the key things that I'm trying to, that I'm trying to help people with right now is helping them make inroads with their election boards and with the, and with the attorneys for the election boards. So at the, at the state election board meeting, the director for Bartow County is a guy named Kurt. I can't remember his last name right this second, but he said, David, why do you want to know the name of my, you know, of my attorney? And so we, we have questions to ask, you know, we want to make sure that they, that they know the law. And he said, every time you contact them, it costs me money. And I was like, Kurt, it doesn't cost you money. It, it's, this is not a corporation that you own. <laughs> these, well, these people, they're being paid a fee every month to answer questions. It's interesting, too, in that if you look back a couple of weeks ago at Spalding County, who did they look to to make sure that they were, you know, uh, not violating any laws just before taking a vote to uh, hand count all their elections going forward? They looked to their attorney, didn't they? Correct. Correct. And if you flip to the next slide, it says for the benefit of election directors, you need to know that Georgia code 212334 allows you to use paper ballots when the machines are impractical. And also code section 212379.2-C for crying out loud says that the, if the voting system has problems with accuracy, and we already know it does because of what happened in DeKalb County with Michelle Long Spears race, that approval of the system shall be immediately shall immediately be revoked by the Secretary of State, you know. And, and I asked the, the state election board to make that motion today. Hmm. So there's an awful lot of work to do. But one of the things that the whole point of me telling telling folks today this is that when you're when you're reaching out to your to your county election board, when you're talking with the attorneys, 
don't hit them with fire and brimstone, you know, go to them as respectfully as you possibly can. Because one of the issues that, that with human beings is that when we attack somebody, when they are attacked, they immediately go into defense mode and rock back and they are going to defend whatever their position is, even if it's totally wrong, the, the same way that Raffensperger has. So go in, try to be as respectful and factual as possible. Be firm, you know, don't, don't be a pushover, but show them, show them the facts, show them, show them where they're wrong, show them where they have latitude. And I can, one of the things, one of the things I don't have in here is the remark that you're going to hear all the time, which is, well, we can't do that because he's going to fine us $5,000 a day if we use paper ballots. And I would say, put an open records request in with Athens, Clark County, who was fined $5,000 a day for using paper ballots, I think for two or three days, a couple of years ago. And you will find that Athens, Clark County did not pay anything to the secretary of state, nor did the secretary of state receive any money. So it's all finger wagging and don't you do that or we'll tell you don't do that again. So the, the secretary of state has no legal authority to tell these counties anything. One thing you mentioned earlier, and, and actually I believe Chris brought it up as well, this claim that, uh, you know, there's something that you're asking for that would violate the sanctity or, or violate uh, the privacy of the elections. Um, from personal experience, we heard that from a number of counties, not, not many, but a, a select group when we began looking for what are called the cast boat record reports last year. Yep. And ultimately all, but I think two, when the other counties started delivering the CVR reports as a course of just a course of business, the others had to relent and say, well, I guess, I guess it isn't proprietary because everybody else is doing it. So some of these things that the counties bring up and, and perhaps even the state brings up sometimes don't hold water, do they? Yeah. And Los Angeles County, California, posts them online for the whole world to see. So there's nothing secret or proprietary about it. There, you know, it's just a record of what happened. It's a diary of what happened during an election. So I think the, the moral of the story is that we have to fight at the county level to get rid of the machines. We have to fight at the legislature level. Correct. In the court, in the court of public opinion across the board. Um, and, and we don't know where the break's going to come, but it will come. Yeah. We don't know where it's going to come from, but I would encourage you, you know, anybody who's watching it, if you want to be involved, go to my website, you know, gaballots.com. Again, that's gaballots.com. I've got some, you know, some, you know, some templates that are on there that, that, that you can use. I even have something where if you want to file your own um, ethics complaint, you know, with the Bar Association against uh, against Fannie Willis, there's a template on there for you to use, too. I mean, the, 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 you know, the Democrats, you know, and the, and the deep state are using lawfare against us. We should be using it just as vigorously against them. We'll make sure to list that uh, that connection, the, the uh, jadeballots.com on the follow up for this uh, for the today's show. So thank you, David. Perfect. Um, thank the, you. Guys. The other thing that I heard this week that I'll, I'll back you up on is everybody needs to be doing what they can. You don't have to know. You have to you don't have to be even an expert. You just have to be in the game and start working. If you if you want to be become a, a poll worker or even a poll manager as we go forward, aim for it. Start working on it now. Please um, do. I mean, there, there's too many people that think that, you know, that, that Trump is keeping everything in reserve and he, he's going to be the white knight that's going to like ride in. People, you are the white knight. It is it is up to us to fix this. There's no white white knight coming to save us. It is us. 
Oops, you're, you're on mute, Todd. And we, and we can get results. Sorry, I've got some construction going on. I'm the next building over, so I'm trying to mute my mic <laughs> to keep the jackhammer <laughs> noise out of here. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, we don't know where it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. And we're getting results already. So. It is indeed. Yep. Thank you, David. Perfect, guys. Anything else, let me know. Thank you. Okay, you take bet. care. Thank you, sir. All right. Should we go back to uh, to Debbie? Or do yeah, go for it. Go for it. Go for it. Okay. All right, Debbie, how are you? Good. How are you guys doing? Now, that sounds perfect. Thank you so much. Good. God, uh, sorry for the technical issues. We had uh, uh, pretty bad weather in uh, Forsyth County. So well, we, it, we, did. we had to read the router, so... We did where I am too. We had five hours of thunderstorms in the middle of the night. Kind of strange. So, Debbie, wow. um, you you are one of the most active folks that uh, that many see out there. You've got a finger on a lot of different things that are going on. So let's let's jump right in. Um, tell me about your findings and your observations of this. We're going to call it the the Never Trumper event that uh, Mr. Erickson is holding, and I we've now discovered that Mr. Kemp is co-sponsoring. Tell us, tell us your feelings and observations there, if you would, please. Uh, well, my feelings and observation are it's the Never Trump gathering. It's not just the gathering. It's the Never Trump gathering. It was put on and organized by Never Trumper Eric Erickson, who has always trashed and had a disdain for the conservative grassroots and for MAGA. Uh, you've got Mike Pence, you've got uh, Ron DeSantis, you have a lot of folks going to that event. Brian Kemp, who boycotted coming to the Georgia Republican Party State Convention in June, gave this event $100,000 to come on as a co-host. Folks need to remember that in uh in 2026, when Kemp is, is thinking about word is going to run for the U.S. Senate. We don't need to forget what he's doing. I encourage folks to go down there, go to Buckhead. I think it's at the Intercontinental. I'm not exactly sure what hotel, but uh, I send it out in the emails. And I encourage everyone on that Friday when Mike Pence and DeSantis and Kemp are going to be speaking to go across the street with your flags, Trump flags, with your Trump signs, with signs that say we want paper ballots and peacefully show them that people in Georgia is still Trump company, uh, country and we want paper ballots. Now, when you say that, I'm sure that that the unspoken guidance is um, we we do that, but we do it very peacefully. We do it non-aggressively. Yes. We do it just just as the patriots that uh, that folks are, um, because we don't want to give anybody the wrong impression that you know something's happening that's not. We're simply speaking our mind and using our first Peaceful. amendment rights. Yes. Yep. Peacefully speaking your mind. That's and correct. and that's correct. what needs to happen. We need to be peaceful. I am seeing online that there's a, a number of groups already lining up to uh, to support such an activity. Are you seeing the same thing? Yes, I am. I'm seeing the same thing. People are going. Yeah, they're going to show up 
and we're going to have our voices heard, but we're going to be peaceful. This is what's interesting. Uh, beginning in 2017, I organized a ton of protests that I call them CNN fake news protests. And we were at the CNN Center in downtown Atlanta. We were always peaceful. We always obeyed law enforcement. Law enforcement was there. We'd always thank them for keeping us safe. Uh, the only problem we had, violence we had, was an Antifa person. Uh, one time the, the Atlanta police were there watching the, you know, our little protest we had. And an Antifa person uh, was across the street and he yelled obscenities at our group. And I had told our folks at the beginning, if someone says something ugly to them, just say Jesus loves you or, or, or don't respond back. Uh, one of our folks actually told this Antifa guy that, and he ran across the street with his fist raised, ready to hit somebody. And he got put to the ground pretty quick. And the police uh, carted him off to jail after they were taking him to the emergency room for a visit. But that's the only time we've ever had anything violent at any of my events. So you're an amazing researcher too. You you have wonderful people that you work with. You're you're great at researching. Uh, I, I believe you found some interesting information regarding uh, Fannie Willis and perhaps some of her jurisdictional limitations. Could could you take us through that, please? Oh yes, uh, I actually thought about it when. Uh, you know, I've been active at Georgia Capitol for years, okay, for over probably close to 20 years. And I can tell you uh, that I know the procedure topping for it. And I happened to be driving by Waffle House. And then it reminded me of a complaint I had filed against Don Balfour, who was a sitting senator, uh, used to be powerful rules chairman. I'll file an ethics complaint against him at the Georgia Capitol for falsifying expense reports. The attorney general investigated that, not the district attorney who was Paul Howard at the time, not the Fulton district attorney. The AG investigated that. They prosecuted that. And the reason being was that according to Georgia law, and I went back and researched it, according to Georgia law, the Georgia Capitol and a five-mile radius around it in state-owned buildings, their chief law enforcement is the Georgia Capitol Police, who falls under the Department of Public Safety, not the Fulton County District Attorney. And this was done years and years and years ago uh, because the Georgia Capitol, they did not want the legislators to be, or what goes on in the Capitol, be harassed by rogue DAs or by rogue law enforcement. So they made the, the Georgia Capitol criminal investigations, uh, enforcing the laws under the purview of the Georgia Capitol Police, not the district attorney. So I did open records requests. I went to the Department of Public Safety and I did open records requests for Chris Carr's office, asking them for any document they had that granted Fannie Willis 
the jurisdiction to investigate what took place, some of the events that she's looking at in the Georgia Capitol. Have not heard back from Chris Carr's office, but I heard back from the Department of Public Safety, and there was no such instrument. So she actually usurped the authority of the Georgia Capitol Police by opening an investigation of events that took place at the Georgia Capitol that included. Uh oh. <laughs> Whoops. Well, hopefully, she'll join in just a moment. We're, I think we're getting to the getting to the important part here. Right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, wow. If if not, then we will do a separate segment to include this. But uh, essentially, let me paraphrase what she already told us. In Fannie Willis has responsibility and jurisdiction over South Fulton County and certain things that are deemed South Fulton County's jurisdiction. Um, the Capitol Police and absent guidance from um, Raffensperger Carr and uh, Kemp hold jurisdiction for the Capitol. And so things that happen in the Capitol have to be either referred to others or investigated by those by those entities. And um, I can see that uh, Debbie is trying to rejoin us, but in, in advance of that, um, there is a, there's an open question. Does Fannie Willis have the jurisdiction to even investigate what she's been going after. And I'm hoping we can hear from Debbie, but if not, we will we will include Debbie in either this broadcast or the next one to make sure we close this loop a bit more. Um, okay, we have her back. Let's bring her back in. We'll try this one more time. Hey, Debbie. I am so sorry. We're having- Be sorry about it. I gave a quick synopsis of what you covered already. So we're at the point of learning what what, what do you think you found about what Fannie Willis may have gotten her nose into that might be other than what the jurisdiction would say? Well, she used the authority and uh, she actually sent letters to uh, Governor Kemp, Brad Raffensperger, Chris Carr, say, and Jeff Duncan, who was Lieutenant Governor at the time, saying, hey, I'm going to investigate this. I have not seen anything from them that said she had the authority to do that or that gave her a special prosecutor authority, which the AG's office could do. So basically, she didn't have jurisdiction to investigate the alternate electors. She doesn't have jurisdiction to investigate the Senate hearings that were held uh, about the 2020 election and potential election fraud. She didn't have jurisdiction to do that. I actually spoke with uh, at least one of the alternate electors. I sent her the information and she was going to send it to her attorney. But she can't prosecute them. A judge needs to throw it out. She did not have jurisdiction to just go in the Georgia Capitol and investigate what she wanted to investigate. Uh, in, in 2009, uh, when I was helping plan a big April 15th tax day tea party, Atlanta Tea Party was having, we were told that we had to work with the Georgia Capitol Police because they had jurisdiction over law enforcement on Georgia Capitol grounds and in state buildings in a five mile radius of the Capitol. 
Essentially, she usurped authority she did not have to open the investigations. Now, this won't impact, this will not impact, you know, the investigation or any of any phone call or anything like this. But a lot of information that she got was from investigating events at the Georgia Capitol. And word is, she will uh, actually indict some of the alternate electors. Uh, and she doesn't have jurisdiction to do that. Their attorneys can have it thrown out. Any evidence that she was granted is will not be admissible in court because she didn't have proper jurisdiction. I do this not be- see where A.G. Chris Carr gave her that jurisdiction and appointed her a special prosecutor that would have granted her the authority to do that. That's an amazing finding. It's going to be astounding to watch this play out. And this would, her her plan to potentially charge some of these electors is borne out by the fact that barricades were put up this past week in, in front of the Fulton County Courthouse, yes? So... Yes, and uh, the the legislators are upset about it. Uh, They, you know, they read my email uh, and talking about leadership. Uh, There's something else I'm about to do. Fannie Willis is corrupt. I will tell you that now. I'm about to file another open records request uh, either Monday or Tuesday because I received word that three months before she convened the Trump grand jury, the first grand jury that was a total fiasco, that she actually hired, her office hired a PR messaging person to help her properly message, to help her properly message uh, the investigation and grand jury of Trump. Uh, And so I've got open records requests for that. Fannie Willis doesn't follow Georgia law. I filed open records request in March asking for any information on any federal grants or federal monies her office has received. And I wanted information on how it was spent because I had heard that Fulton DA's office has not been spending their federal grant money like they're supposed to. Hmm. And we're using it for other purposes. She did not respond in any way. And in fact, I had to file a writ of mandamus against her. Are you guys there? Yeah, we're, we're you're breaking up just a little bit, Debbie. But I, we got the message. She's She hasn't been responding to that open records request. And you've had to go after more uh, more steps to get her to respond. So. We, we appreciate you being with us today. You are uncovering yeah, some yeah, valuable actually, stuff, and, and it's so much appreciated. And I'm All sorry right. for the technical problems. Next no. time, that will happen. No worries. It's probably the bad guys trying to block us. They don't want you to come out with the truth. So I know we'll have you the internet's been sporadic all morning. The internet's been sporadic because of the bad weather we've had all morning. It's not from the router. It's from outside. So sorry. Uh, no, thank we'll, you. Thank you. Thank you Bye. for being here. I know we'll have you on again soon. Thank you, Debbie. All right. Back to you, Todd. Wow. When we say that the Georgia show is the tip of the spear on uh, solving Georgia's problems, we're not joking. <laughs> there you go. Wow. Um, on that in that vein, we've told you about our no ad subscriptions, but please also we have 
college day is coming up. I'm sure there's a lot of college kids about to start or go back to school. They need towels. They need sheets. They need, you know, uh, stuff to wear in their dorm room at night uh, that's comfortable. So go to MyPillow.com, use promo code CDM, and uh, grab what you need for college days coming up in Christmas. Uh, great gifts. You know, the, 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 the guy that has everything will love a, a nice pair of new slippers. So MyPillow.com, use promo code CDM. With that, we sat down with Sarah Taylor, or excuse me, Sarah, Sarah Thompson uh, earlier today. And, you know, a lot of stuff has been going on in the GOP in different states, uh, trying to stop new members from coming in, trying to control the process. Even when uh, the grassroots takes over party jurisdictions, there's a lot of shenanigans going on to stop them from having influence on decisions and who runs for office, et cetera. So Sarah has a, a really interesting tale in, in Bullock County that we wanted to highlight. So I'm going to bring her on. We had a chance to sit down with Sarah Thompson down in Bullock County this week, and we've seen a lot of things across the country in the GOP, specifically in the party bodies and how they're being made up and voted. And uh, Sarah's going to talk about that same issue down in Bullock. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thanks, Todd. So uh, tell us what's going on down there. Well, a lot of excitement and a lot of um, a lot of grief, to be honest. <laughs> but in uh, just to tell you what happened to us in a fully Republican American way in accordance with the call, 10 aligned individuals in my county won fair representative seats as officers or members of the Bullock County Republican Committee. And that was right in alignment with our state rules. And our state rules state very clearly that the officers and members shall be elected by the county convention delegation mm -hmm and they shall take their seats at the adjournment of that convention. So it's a very special day, and there was a lot of victory. I know that Georgia Record did celebrate mm -hmm. um, that day across the state. Well, we celebrated too, and this, the final score, you know, at the end of the game, the final score that day was nine to six. Now, there were two, um, two individuals who uh, were holding two seats, that they were precinct chairman and officers. They did resign and had new elections so we changed the score the next week or two to 10 to 7. Mm -hmm. Okay so that's how things how things ended up. Then a few days later after this March 11th county convention the new chairman Lawton Sack appointed five new people to the board or to the committee mm -hmm. and it was a shock to us and, uh, you know, oh, by the way, this particular individual recently received an honorable appointment to a state committee uh, called the Accountability Committee by State Chairman McComb. So we mm -hmm. all know he's honored by at the state level. Mm -hmm. So we go to this meeting on March 30th, our first county committee meeting. And we, the room was filled. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us had done a lot of work to seek professional in uh, insight to this issue. We reached out to professional parliamentarians mm -hmm. and one of them in Utah mm -hmm. and, one, and one in Wyoming. One, and we actually paid out of our own pockets for a professional opinion on this issue. Is it okay for the chairman to put voting appointees on our committee? Is it lined up with Georgia law? Is it lined up with our state rules? And we presented in a sacrificial offering to our chairman a report on March 30th showing, Chairman, this does not appear to be in alignment 
with the state rules. Mm -hmm. And we have to be in alignment with the state rules under Georgia law. It says that the, our county rules have to be consistent with state rules and Georgia law. Mm -hmm. And only then can we file those rules in with the county election superintendent certified by the chairman. So it is incumbent upon the, per the officers at all levels to make sure that things are lined up. So um, in a manner of due diligence and as responsible officers, we presented. Um, and what I mean by officers, it would be me and the two vice chairman. Mm -hmm. We presented uh, this document and uh, there were ten, all 10 of us were in the room at the time, the 10 that had come together and effectively, you know, one, I guess you could say county convention. And in solidarity, we ran many points of order and mm -hmm. we challenged the chairman, but we had this problem. We had these five challenged voting members who mm -hmm. were in the room and we could, and he, he used them as a vote to allow themselves to vote. <laughs> and it was, it was incredible. It was really unbelievable. And we, we had done our research. Basically, the chairman does have the ability to appoint non-voting officers and committees. Mm -hmm. And the committees themselves, it doesn't mean he can make the committee chair a voting member. It just says committees in the, in the rules. So that it does impact other counties. But we, we really did a great job calling points of order and challenging him, appealing the ruling of the chair. But with this body, the way it was constituted, we couldn't get anywhere. And we warned him that, that it is uh, to conduct business in this way. It does create a, set, a situation of avoidable business. Like none of the business can really even be done because it, it appears we have a lot of um, voidable acts being committed. Our body is not constituted. And, it, you know, we remember this is in our rules, mm -hmm. these mm -hmm. lines. And, and there's also some other lines in our rules, like at, at district convention, you can get district and state committee people. And at, then again, at district, you know, the next month, there were additional people that came in the side door and added to our numbers. So that adds, adds up to eight. And then there's the, the former chairman. He got a voting member seat. And then, um, you know, you have essentially it's like if the best analogy I can really explain is say you're the student council president at your school. You have two thirds vote and then you create you you run a vote to add the basketball team to your student council and you and the basketball team have the quorum. Mm -hmm. So essentially the basketball team runs the whole school. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of an elementary example. But well, let me just important. understand. So the Georgia Republican Party rules yeah. do not say that the chairman of the county party can appoint additional people to the voting committee. Am I correct. correct? But he appointed people to the voting committee without an election by the party body, correct? Correct. That needed to be done at convention. If, he, if there were any other people, it wasn't done. And he can only appoint non-voting officers and committees. And the way it works in these rules is it's uh, if there's a specific guidance, like do this, everything else is thereby prohibited. It's a it's a principle. Yeah. Let me ask you this, because in Florida, they've been bringing in like to the county, they'll bring in people from Tallahassee to come down and vote that are legislators or whatever on the committee. And. So 
basically to stack the committee uh, yeah. in a certain way. So it's something similar to that is what you're saying. It is. And you know, it depends on the, the state and the rules and the boundaries. Mm -hmm. And really, I, I, I am impressed with some of the boundaries in the in Georgia's rules. They really mm -hmm. differentiate like this is this convention. This is what mm -hmm. they do. And the problem is, is that once there's a, an idea that kind of gets hold in the political sector, it kind mm -hmm. of grows, even if yep. somebody hasn't taken the time to fully investigate the legitimacy and so it's the really great thing is um, I'm just I couldn't be more excited and proud of Bullitt County because mm -hmm. we continue to try to fight for our representative rights. This isn't about me. It's not about any one individual. But sure. each time you bring in somebody that's not right to Tallahassee, you know, to anywhere, mm -hmm. um, you're you're canceling out representative votes. Well, those appointees don't represent. They were not elected to represent a precinct or the county as an officer. They mm -hmm. are just the favorites. Right. And what we did was we kept we kept digging. We he did and he made an interest two interesting votes um, in uh, late June at an executive meeting. One of them was that there was a question of whether membership, the value of membership, and that's a fundamental concern that we continue mm -hmm. to have. And essentially, there was a, a vote on whether or not members were extremely valuable for the you know for success in elections and he voted no to that and that was a concern i can provide that verbatim from the minutes but it was a shocker to us so we're kind of confused there but then um, he began to kind of rally the troops to start throwing people out with a two-thirds majority and that's off the, something off the committee yes mm -hmm. yes so that's now we're talking about removing member Mm -hmm. rights like they elect duly elected people from the committee mm -hmm. it doesn't even matter who that is it's just that he we've gone from him being in the minority to him having two-thirds mm -hmm. and that's kind of scary yeah. and so we decided well now we're going to you know we're going to seek more counsel and that's what we've done and i'm very proud to say that we mm -hmm. uh, re we reached out of state um we have now the professional opinions of mm -hmm. Some really amazing people and i i do feel very comfortable naming these individuals because they are professionals mm -hmm. um, one of them is al gage who mm -hmm. is the current rnc parliamentarian and mm -hmm. he is president of the american institute of parliamentarians that's huge mm -hmm. so that's a credentialing agency so anybody mm -hmm. in georgia who gets a parliamentary credential has to go through them for mm -hmm. credentialing. Also, Kay Allison Cruz, she's from Dallas, Texas, and she's past president of the AIP and current accrediting director of the AIP. Also, um, CJ Cavan, who's an, who's an attorney in a very specialized area of parliamentary. <coughs> and mm -hmm. he um, is in Guthrie, Oklahoma, and is the full-time parliamentarian for the Oklahoma House of Representatives. Okay. He is he is also the parliamentarian for the parliamentarians. <laughs> so you have to be both fair and likable to do that job. And he, the, the AIP, and then uh, one of his colleagues, Sean Payne, also an attorney, uh, PRP as well, Luther, Oklahoma, and deputy parliamentarian for the Oklahoma House. So they ruled in your favor, essentially. We, we asked for professional opinions. I want to be very clear about that. We, we contracted for an, another look at this issue and what, what the original parliamentarian 
the, um, the gal from, from Wyoming, the one that we presented to him mm -hmm. on March 30th, she, sa she said the Bullock County Republican Party is subservient to the state party and cannot adopt rules or policies that conflict with its partner organization. Therefore, County Rule 2.2G is null and void and is no longer in effect. The county chairman cannot appoint voting members to the county committee. That's what she said. And so we, we told him that back on March 30th. And, and what was the response? Just, we don't know what we're talking about. And also that he appealed to the authority of John White, who mm -hmm. is the state parliamentarian, and basically said, well, John, I am going with John White's interpretation that I'm, I'm fine doing mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. And that's really all he had um, to- so where, where does it stand now? I mean, are you guys gonna appeal? I mean, and go through that again, what, what is the process? Right now, we understand that the state chairman has some obligations and duty to direct the general direction of the party and mm -hmm. expecting that our party would move in an ethical, legal, appropriate direction is, I think, not too much to ask. I mm -hmm. think as, as at the county level and as an officer, um, I, I, I stand for the electors mm -hmm. and it's not, I don't think it is too much to ask and he makes decisions every day. He gets advice from John White every day, up and down on all yeah. kinds of issues. And what we're asking is that he act mm -hmm. to, to essentially call the, call the ace, call, call the ball on, mm -hmm. this, on this issue. And we do believe that every bit of business that we do in Bullock County is, is null and void because mm -hmm. of this situation until this matter can be fully respected until the electors and the elected people on our committee can be fully recognized for the representative mm -hmm. role and things can be done in full compliance. We can't do business. And that's not good for Georgia. It's not good for Bullock County. Um, mm -hmm. Georgia citizens have a right to equal protection under the law. Each county matters and each elector matters. And the people who have followed the call to enter this this way this uh, reorganization cycle have done it correctly mm -hmm. and there are 30 sections of Georgia law referring to the role of the county executive committee mm -hmm. 30 code sections mm -hmm. that is the county committee and that county committee has a very important role in the public interest under election code. It is not just a private club. Yeah. It, we are, the people of Bullock County are counting on us to help them to have candidates yeah. on the public ballot. And anything that would get in between them and their voting opportunities, and uh, they're, they're, it messes with their constitutional right to vote. So it's not a separate issue. The party is part of this, as we've learned. So mm -hmm. we have a we have a special place, Bullock County. Um, I love my new county. This is where mm -hmm. our family, I think, is meant to root. And Bullock County is the smallest over eighty county, smallest. Mm -hmm. And that's under. So you have the over eighty, and you have the under eighty. So we are in the middle but in between the rural heartland counties and the big city mm -hmm. and we're growing fast. And I really think it's a sovereign, you know, we're in the center and, and we believe that 
if if the state party and the state executives can see what is happening here, they can bring healing to the entire state. And, and we are asking for compliance. That's it. So uh, comply, and they, I think they could get all the counties in compliance if they choose to. So yeah. we hope that they'll respect the best parliamentarian professionals in this country who have offered opinions, people from Utah, Arizona, yeah. Texas, Wyoming, Oklahoma, and a host of Georgians who pitched, pitched in. I will tell you that the, the reports that we had produced this month to assist with this, there are people in five counties who supported this project. So it's, it's a really, that's, what I, that's my prayer and hope. Sarah, thank you. Uh, maybe we'll reach out to him and get a comment on what his response is to all of this and see what he has to say. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you, Todd. Have a good day. Wow, another explosive report. Um, fascinating. Yeah, there was one comment that uh, Sarah made that I think is worth just calling out um, mm -hmm. a bit. We've talked about these coalitions that have formed around the state. Um, we haven't looked in the last week or so, but there were at last count, I believe, 19 of them. One of the huge differences be between those coalitions and the parties is that the coalitions do not have members. Mm -hmm. Parties have members. The coalition they don't follow Georgia election code either. That's correct. They aren't beholden to the same laws. So we'll we'll talk a lot more about that. I'm sure as we get further into um, into uh, the cycle. But I want to just make sure we heard that in in Sarah's comments. Yeah, sorry about the jackhammer again, um, but uh, you're correct, Bill. So what an explosive show! I guarantee you, where it's going to get more explosive as we go into 24 and through the fall. We're going to be on Wednesday night at 7 p.m. on our new slot for Wednesdays and also always on Sunday at 2 p.m. at the Georgia 24 show. And uh, thank you to all our new audiences for joining us today. Please check out our no ad subscriptions. Go to MyPillow.com and uh, get your guests or your clothes and stuff for your, your kid going to school. And don't go to the big box retailers. Use promo code CDM. With that, I will we'll see you Wednesday night. Thanks, Bill.